There could be 50 other people right now, or if there's 80 here, there could be 80 people who could stand up and do the same thing this morning. And so I, I hope that you were blessed by what he said and did this morning. It was a blessing to me. And I, I wanted to pray for you, but not because I think you're the only atrocious sinner in the world or in this room, but it, it's a prayer for all of us, right? Because we're all not what God wants us to be. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for Greg and uh, his sincerity this morning. I'm grateful for the way in which you spoke through him. Father, more than anything, I'd pray that you would give him wonderful peace about the forgiveness that you have given him in Jesus. Father, we all this morning stand convicted. We all this morning need the peace that passes all understanding as we pour out to you our heartfelt concerns, our griefs, and our sins. And God, you've, you've blessed us this morning with Greg and, and what he shared. And he spoke not just for each one of us, but he spoke as each one of us this morning. And God, you know that. And so we, we thank you for that and we pray that you'd bless him and bless each one of us that uh, the heart of, of confession would be ours as we stand before you, admit who we are, and then receive the grace of Jesus, enabling us to come boldly before you. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. And thank you, brother. Well, his comments certainly fit with what we have been doing for a while now and talking about grace and forgiveness and faith and the way that all of that works together to make us before God who we want to be. And none of us does it on our own, as we all know. It's absolutely because of Jesus. Which is interesting in light of what we're talking about this morning. We're going through a series, Tenacious Faith, in the book of Hebrews, and it's, uh, I, I think it's been, like, it's really touched me. It's been rich for my life. I've loved reading the passages that we've read from the book of Hebrews. They have moved me and changed me, and I'm just so thankful for them. We're taking a bit of a hiatus this morning, because every now and then, we do something different. And there are, there are major themes, major identify, uh, identifying marks within churches of Christ that we sometimes take a Sunday to focus on, and this morning is one of those. This morning we're going to talk specifically about baptism. And it's interesting because when I, when I say that, I can, I can almost hear in my own head, if I was sitting out there and the preacher stood up and he said, we're going to talk about baptism, I would, I would think to myself, well, I've heard this one a thousand times before. And there's a sense in which that's true. We do and have talked about baptism. And once a year... We do this because we think that it's really important for us to take a Sunday and say, here is a major event in the life of Christians, and this needs to be addressed. People need to know this and hear this, and they need to know and hear where we particularly as a congregation stand on this particular issue. And so I don't apologize at all for doing it. And I hope that as we go through some passages this morning, that especially if you are a person who has not been immersed into the Lord Jesus, in the waters of baptism, I hope that you're simply open this morning to listening to what Scripture says about what this is. Because ultimately, that's where we're at. We want to 
be people who say, what does the Bible tell us to do in response to the love of Jesus Christ? How is how can we as human beings best do what it is that God wants us to be and do? How can we best respond to God? If I want to give my life to Christ, how do I do that in a way that is honoring of him and that absolutely fulfills God's vision for what he wants me to be as a person? And I think that baptism is an exciting, wonderful element there uh, and especially relevant in terms of who we are as Churches of Christ. You know, it's interesting. In Churches of Christ, we have a few things that we've been known for historically. And... Uh, And because of that, sometimes we, as a movement, kind of identify ourselves with those things and think that's the limit of who we are. And so even though I'm talking about baptism this morning, I don't want us to think in terms of limiting ourselves to saying, well, we're the the people who talk a lot about baptism. Because it's not certainly just that. Like, for example, and you can imagine how this might kind of get me jazzed. I I may have mentioned this before, I can't remember, but... do you know that the dean of the Yale Divinity School is a de- dyed-in-the-wool Church of Christ guy? Did you know this? And, and probably you're going, we didn't know it, we don't care, move on. <laughs> okay? But to me, this is significant. It's like if I said, okay, well, let's talk about uh, who Max Lucado is and the big stream of things. I don't read a lot of Max Lucado books these days. If you've read a few Max Lucado books, you may not read anymore either. They, there's a lot of them that sound alike. But Max Lucado is the biggest selling Christian author maybe in the history of the world outside of the Bible. And he's, he's got that Church of Christ background. James A. Garfield, President of the United States, was a preacher in the Church of Christ which just shows you I've still got some potential. I could become more than what I am. And so all all I'm saying is, is that there's a lot of good reasons for us to be proud of our heritage rather than just the fact that we have this position on baptism, which I think is absolutely biblical and defensible. But today, I'm talking about this biblical, defensible picture of what baptism is all about. And I'm actually excited about it. Um, I forgot my remote. Oh, I hope I didn't leave it in my office or something. Way to go, dear. Thanks, Mark. (laughs) They were working together. Okay. I didn't want to leave Mark out. (laughs) Here's what what we believe statement says. It says, we believe every person believing in Jesus Christ is repent of his or her sins, confess Jesus Christ as Lord, be baptized by immersion in water, and live a life committed to Jesus Christ as outlined in the New Testament. And I don't know if you believe that today. It's possible that you're somebody who doesn't believe that. But I just want to say this is who we are. This is what we as a church believe. And I absolutely think that this is right, that we need to repent of our sins. We need to confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized in immersion by water. I think this is exactly what the New Testament calls us to, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Um, And then, as I've kind of said, if you have not been baptized, my opinion is, because of the strong position that the New Testament takes and the role that it gives to the act of Christian baptism... I want to say that something is missing 
from your faith commitment to Jesus Christ. If you haven't been baptized. And that may hit somebody here right between the eyes. And I hope it does. I want you to be thinking this morning. I want you to be asking questions about who you are and where you are. Baptism itself, I would say, is a key ingredient in what it means to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to these words. And we've heard these all our lives, some of us. When the people heard about Jesus Christ, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What do we do in light of what we have now heard about Jesus? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those are pretty matter-of-fact, straightforward kinds of words. And so even if you've heard them all your life, it's pretty hard to dispute their meaning. And I mean that sometimes when we hear things so often, so much, there's just something that almost like a teenager builds up a little resistance to the parent who keeps telling us the same thing. And so your dad told you something when you were a kid and he told it to you over and over and over again. And pretty soon you're just almost immune to what it is that he's been telling you. And we've heard this a lot before. But the fact that we've heard it before doesn't say anything about how true it is. You could indeed be inoculated against this. But the teaching still, I think, is clear. And when it says, every one of you, I've been trying to think of how that means something other than every single one. And it doesn't mean anything other than that. And so I would say this is something that is for every person. The Greek, by the way, says every one of you in the same way that the English says every one of you. And so there's no date, d- debate about what exactly is intended here in terms of who is supposed to be baptized into Jesus Christ. So that's something I want you to get off the top here. It seems to me like this is something that everybody needs to be thinking about. Well, given everything I know about God, I don't think that's the strongest reason, this idea of just God giving us this command to be baptized. I don't know that that's the strongest reason for us to be baptized nonetheless. There are other great reasons for us to receive the blessings and benefits of Christian baptism, and I want to be talking about that this morning. Why? Well, because baptism is a commanded step in the conversion process of a believer in Jesus Christ. We've looked at that from Acts 2.38. But mainly because of the blessings and benefits of Christian baptism. So I want, to look, I want you to look at your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to read a bunch of texts, go through these. And I hope that if you're a person this morning who has not yet been baptized into Jesus Christ, that these passages will speak significantly to you and to your life. Look at John chapter 3. 
In fact, we could probably even have somebody read this besides me. Somebody's got that already. John chapter 3. Stand up and read verse 3 and then verse 5 for me, would you? Anybody? You know, that's not just my Bible that says that. And it's not just John's Bible that says that. It's everybody's Bible that says that. And it seems to me that when Jesus is talking about being born of water, and I I have to admit I always take that to be baptism, that there is some kind of link between baptism and the reception of Jesus Christ and the kingdom into our lives. It seems clear to me. In fact, the whole notion of being born again in Christ is intimately linked here specifically with baptism and receiving the gift of heaven. So that seems to me to be a powerful statement. The reception of heaven, being born again, is associated specifically with the act of Christian baptism. Something goes on here. We often hear that baptism is simply an external sign of an inward grace. And I I really think I disagree. It just seems to me as though John writes something to us here from Jesus that says more about baptism than it just being an external sign of an inward grace. Something else is going on. Acts 2.38. We've already been there, but look again, if you would, at Acts 2.38. And I didn't make so much of a point of this before. I, I was just kind of saying that it's It seems to be commanded. It seems to be something everyone is supposed to do. But when it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, it specifically says, for the forgiveness of your sins, and I know there's all kinds of debate about that question, and what the for there exactly means. And then it says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so at least these two things... The remission of sins and the reception of the Holy Spirit, both incredibly crucial in the life of a Christian, seem to be directly linked to the repentance and baptism kind of scheme. And again, I just don't think that a person who is wanting to honor Jesus and have their life completely changed would say, well, nonetheless, I don't need to do that. This has nothing to do with me. Boy, it seems to me like it would have everything to do with all of us uh, if it directly impacts and is associated with the remission of sins and with the reception of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but just the way it's worded, it certainly makes sense to me. Now I want you to turn, if you're in the book of Acts, to Acts Paul is talking. In verse 14 it says, Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will 
and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And Paul's talking about the, his own conversion, about what it is that he received. He calls on the name of Jesus, and the text says something specific happens to sins in light of that call when one's baptized. And they are, in fact, he says, washed away. Turn to Titus 3.5. Verse 4 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, and I love the, the uh, disclaimer here about anything that we do saving us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. And renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And just like Acts 2.38 associates the act of washing and baptism and the Holy Spirit, Titus 3.5 does the same kind of thing. Acts 22.16 did the same kind of thing. There's a connection there between washing, removal of sins, rebirth, renewal, and the Holy Spirit. Now turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And so we can see how crucial the whole notion of faith is here. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with, with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And I think that last line, if it does nothing else, it says, this is for all of us. And so we're all baptized into Christ Jesus. He says, clothing yourselves with Christ or putting on Christ, being completely enveloped with Christ through the act of Christian baptism in the same way that immersion envelops you in the water. And so we're completely covered with the waters of baptism and in the process completely covered with Christ. And so there's a link here between becoming children of God. We're all sons of God through Christ Jesus. And there's a link here with being completely clothed with, covered with Christ. Now turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I know you're thinking, man, Kelly, you don't ever do this. Going through all these scriptures. What do you, you got us going everywhere this morning. There's a reason for that. I think it's so important that not only all of us as Christians understand something of the significance of this doctrine, the teaching about baptism, but also, again, because if there's anybody here who has any doubts about whether or not this is for all of us, I want you to be walking out of here today thinking to yourself, man, I'm totally blown away by all that's mentioned there in terms of Christian baptism and it's significant for Christians. Look at First Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to start with verse, uh, the middle of verse 18. 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, in the ark, you remember the story, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this is interesting because it actually says that baptism has a role in saving faith. And it specifically links the act of baptism with the pledge of a good conscience toward God. So that when one is baptized into Jesus, a claim is staked. Someone says in the act of being baptized, here I am pledging my life and my heart and my conscience and my sin to you, God, having my sin washed away and my heart now is completely yours. Romans chapter 6. I want you to look at verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And there's clearly an identification here between the act of baptism and going down into the water and Jesus' own burial. So that he says, we are buried with Christ in baptism. Something happens to the old man in baptism that doesn't happen any other way. And the person who comes out of the water is a new person linked together with Jesus like they have never been before. Because of the act of baptism. Because the Holy Spirit then comes in to the life of the believer. Well, I've talked about Romans chapter 6 verse 3 and 1 Peter chapter 3. We could go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 which talks about how we're all unified together through the act of baptism. We could talk about Matthew 3 verses 13 through 17 which simply makes Jesus and his baptism the model for our baptisms. And says he did this to fulfill all righteousness. We won't do all of that. But the point is, is that baptism is a transformational act and not just an external act. It's way more than just a symbol. It does something. It works in the life of the believer. The fact is, I've been pretty um, straightforward here this morning. Transparent. The fact is, when I read the New Testament and it talks about baptism, it seems to me that this is a crucial part of the process of becoming a Christian, it is absolutely for every human being. But still, I find that no matter how clear the New Testament is about the need for Christian baptism, there's always somebody who feels like they don't want to do this. And I get that. In fact, I've considered why it is that people don't get baptized. I think there's at least six basic reasons. Quickly. First of all, because they think they have been. 
A lot of people don't get baptized because they think that when they were sprinkled as children, that that did the job. And I'm convinced that the New Testament links together the act of belief with the act of baptism. Like Acts 2.38 links repentance with baptism. It's something that you need to do. We need to believe and be baptized. Mark 16.16 would say. Or Mark 16, whatever it is, right at the end of the book. There are all kinds of links in the New Testament between belief and a person understanding who Jesus is before the act of baptism. And I would say that's the number one reason that a person needs to not just depend on that sprinkling that took place when they were children. And in terms of all of that, I'm exhibit A. I remember like yesterday, the day that I decided to be baptized and that I needed to do something beyond the sprinkling that I received as a child. And the reason is because I was making a decision about who Jesus was. My parents couldn't make that decision or choice for me, although I think as far as they were concerned, they could. And so I remember very clearly the day that I went to a family reunion and went to my father and said, Dad, I want to skip the family reunion today and I want to go and be baptized into Jesus Christ. And he said, well, this is your decision, not mine. And if that's what you feel like you need to do, that's what you need to do. And I did. And I know he wasn't happy. I know he didn't really want me to do that. I know he would have rather had me say, no, I think I'm just going to stay here and be at the family reunion with everybody else. But when I look back on that day, I'm so grateful that my dad said, make your own decision. And I'm even more grateful that my heavenly father helped me to make that decision and that I went and did it that day, it changed my life and it changed it forever. And so somebody might be thinking, well, I did this as a child. And I would say, if you now have an understanding of who Jesus is, then it's time for you to be immersed into Jesus and linked with him in all the ways that we've talked about this morning. The second is, people often don't get baptized because someone told them that somewhere, that someone thinks of baptism as a work. And they know that we're not supposed to do works in order to be saved, and therefore, why would somebody be baptized? You don't have to be baptized because it's a work. Well, I just kind of want to settle that one this morning, too. The fact is, is that baptism is in no way a work. It is simply an act of obedience. It's something that God has said to us that he wants us to do through Scripture. We believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We repent and we're baptized, and Scripture tells us specifically to do that. I remember when I preached this last time, I talked about that question, well, do you have to be baptized in order to be saved? And I said then, and I believe today, it's entirely the wrong question. I don't even understand why somebody would ask that. The only thing I can think of why someone would say, but do you really have to be baptized to be saved? Is because they've heard somebody else talk about baptism, somebody's talked about it being a work, and then we begin to wonder. If we knew nothing about any history of baptism and we just read the New Testament and just said, let's just do what the New Testament says a person needs to do in response to Jesus, there would never be the question raised about whether or not a person needs to be baptized. It's just not an issue. We would simply go about doing what God wants us to do. And we would respond to baptism by doing it because the New Testament is so crystal clear about this question. A third reason, people don't get baptized because they don't like being told by others that they have to get baptized. 
I've talked to people who've said, the main reason I'm not going to get baptized is because somebody told me that I had to, namely my parents. And now it's the preacher. Everybody's telling me I have to do this. And so they don't. And I would say, don't be so stubborn. Don't be so prideful. It's an immature pride that would cause that kind of attitude. The real point is not that your mother or your father or your spouse or your friend or the preacher is telling you to do something. You don't want to be told what to do. The question is, what does God ask of you? And so you may not want them telling you what to do. But if you don't do what the New Testament is telling you to do in terms of your response to Jesus... Don't we have some kind of pride that really needs to be quelled in light of who Christ is? Aren't we wanting to follow what the New Testament says in terms of how we need to respond to Jesus? And so I would say, swallow your pride if you need to, and do what God asks you to do in terms of responding to Christ. Another reason people don't get baptized is because they're afraid it draws public attention they have to come over here we take this top off the baptistry and we get in here and there's two or three hundred people looking at you as you're baptized first of all it doesn't have to be that way it could be done in private but let me tell you that i love for people to do these baptisms publicly there are some great reasons for that and i would like to think that those great reasons could even help you to overcome your fear of the public attention. The, the name, namely, the biggest thing that it does is that it involves the whole church in the process of your conversion to Christ. And there's some sense of accountability in all of that, but there's also just the sense of you being able to proclaim in front of others the good name of Jesus, and they love it. And so if you're thinking from the beginning, well, I want to serve others, let your baptism be the place where you start. Because you will minister to all kinds of other people if you're baptized publicly. They will all rejoice. They'll all love it. Every heart will be warmed. And so I encourage you to overcome that public fear. Yes, you can do it in private. As long as it's just me and 20 or 30 other people who can come and get to rejoice with you and be part of it. Another reason, people often say they're not ready to be baptized. We talked about this last time. It's as if they think that there's a certain level of righteousness or commitment that they need to reach before baptism because it seems like such a big step. There's a sense in which I agree with that. It needs to be taken very seriously. There's a level of commitment that needs to be reached. But if you're sitting there today thinking to yourself, I'm simply not a good enough person. I don't follow Jesus in the way that I should. Well, then you need to take seriously and listen seriously to what Greg said a while ago. That we all fall short. I've been a Christian for almost 42 years. I sometimes, hugely, fall short. And it's only because of the grace of God that I can stand here or anywhere else today. 
And so being baptized and being born again go hand in hand. Where you can start anew, but you will start as an infant. The New Testament knows nothing about unbaptized Christians. And so when you say, I'm a believer in Jesus, you're ready. When your heart is completely His, you're ready. And it has nothing to do with the level of your righteousness before baptism takes place. And so get rid of that one too. And then the last one. Fear of water. I don't know how many people don't get baptized because they're afraid to go under the water, but I think there are some. And so I wanted to say today, I have never drowned anyone in the baptistry. I have never lost one. My record is impeccable. Yesterday I was watching this movie on Charles Lindbergh, the old Jimmy Stewart, Spirit of St. Louis movie. And he was at one point trying to convince other people to go up in the plane with him. And he said, I've driven or I've flown thousands and thousands of flights and I've never crashed once. Come, pay your 10 bucks and fly with me. Well, this is free and there's no risk in terms of crashing, bashing. You could slip and fall, I suppose, but I'm there to catch you. There was a lady one time in Victoria, Alberta Hutchison, an elderly lady, she was in her 80s, who, uh, you know, I talked to her numerous times about baptism, she didn't want to do it, finally decided to be baptized, but her biggest fear was fear of water. She wouldn't wouldn't be baptized because she was scared to death. And so I promised her that I would hold her, you know, that I wasn't going to hold her under at all, you know, we're just down and right back up. And so she said, okay, I think I can handle this. And we got in the baptistry, and she must have weighed about, oh, I don't know, 85 pounds, we got in the baptistry and I'm ready to put her under and I say what all preachers say and I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and I, you know, I have her grab her nose and I'm starting to put her under and all of a sudden she began to fight. And, she, you know, it's like somebody on crystal meth. <laughs> all of a sudden this woman is, is fighting me as, she's, as I'm trying to get under the water. I won. <laughs> I, I got her under. And she, and she scrabbled her feet, were slipping and sliding, and she was fighting me all the way, but I got that woman baptized in Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so, don't let fear of water stop you. Because if you get to this point, I'm going to get you. Okay? Well, I hope... A couple of things. One is, I hope that as you leave this morning, there's no doubt about where our church is and the position of whether or not a person should be baptized into Jesus Christ. But way more importantly, if you're a person here this morning and you're, you're here, and I'm sure you're here because you love Christ and you're thinking about what God means in your life and, uh, and your relationship with Him, and I just want to say to you, be baptized even today in Jesus And have your sins washed away. The relationship that we have with Christ is the most precious thing in the world. And the act of baptism as you enter into it is one of those events in your life that you will never forget and that will change you forever. And so there you go. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you.
in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise that's for you and for your children and for everybody, for all who are far off, whomever the Lord our God will call. Let's pray. Lord, I would pray that there would be nothing that would stand in the way today of somebody being immersed into you. And Father, we're so grateful for the clear teaching about baptism in the New Testament. It's just, it's unmistakable. You can't miss it. We're so grateful for that. We're grateful for what it does. Most of all, Father, we're simply grateful for Jesus who makes this act possible and who makes possible our connection and relation with you. Continue forever to use the act of baptism to cement in our hearts your spirit and your new life. It's through Jesus we pray.